Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. And today on Storymakers, we're going to look the world square in the face and say, hey, what's it like to be a writer when everything is turned upside down? But first, what are you working on? Well, funnily enough, uh, I am having these kind of fantastic Zoom sessions <laughs> with my friends. And uh, while they virtually babysit me, I'm plugging along through my draft. Mm -hmm. So um, even as I'm not, my sleep schedule is all wacky, I'm, I'm more hyper attuned to the news than I've been through all of this. Um, I am nonetheless getting work done. That is kind of a miracle, and that's part of what we're talking about today. So I will ping you later to figure out what it is that you are doing that's allowing you to be productive in this particular window. Or really, what is it that you are doing to allow me to be productive in this particular window? <laughs> yes. Um, I am really just focused on sort of teaching, getting our house squared away. I've gone into this bizarro nesting phase starting a garden starting a garden things that you if you had said like oh hey and you want to start a garden <laughs> like my really first approach answer would be no thank you <laughs> well hence though we have this what do we have a quarter acre or something which is our own little plot of land and mm -hmm. the people before had amazing gardens that was part of the sort of selling point and yet we've not done that for these six years so so this is what it takes. Yeah. I will say that you turn out to be, and maybe not surprisingly, a human being who is very responsive to acute situations. Mm -hmm. Like you do really well with, this is the most important thing and it's happening right now. And I do really well with, we're doing the same thing today we did yesterday. We're doing the same thing today we did yesterday. Rinse and repeat. I don't know if that's true. I mean, you are good at that, but I don't want to underestimate. I'm not that good at this other thing. Like, well, just saying, like when we had the fires, you know, I sort of wandered around existentially and really broke down. Theoretically. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> broke down on, I was taking this, right, the minimalism, minimalize your possessions, and then my friends were having their possessions minimalized for them by fire and I was like I don't really know what to do with myself and you were like well here's my yearbook here's some family photos here's some medicine we're putting it in the car yeah yeah you know maybe it's the one upside of you know childhood trauma <laughs> <laughs> and then now you're like plant a garden and doing all that kind of stuff yeah it's very exciting I like it well, it stems from a very similar place. I think it's right. very like, okay, for this particular thing, I might not get to leave my house. For the other you might have to. tragedies, I have to leave my house. So now I'm like, how does a container garden work? Well, and so here's that I can pop <laughs> so you that can in. Both. <laughs> yes. Well, and here's how this applies to writing, in case anybody still cares, which is you do fantastically well if I'm like, I've set up a table read for you on Friday and it's Wednesday and let's say it's not this time of pandemic. I'm like, you go to the library for two days and write something, write a right. full length screenplay, which we're going to then do a table read for. Mm -hmm. And you're like, okay, I did it. Yeah, that's true. That's how you work. 
Whereas like, I'm like, I need my friends to show up on Zoom. I can't tell you like, so I, so I'm like there doing my thing and then, and I'm by myself because I said, I'll start the meetings, come when you want, just drop in. Mm-hmm. And then um, one person showed up and I was like, okay, everything's okay now. Like I'm still alone in this little cabina doing my thing, but now there's someone else on the other side of Zoom doing her thing alone and we're together. Well, I think, you know, and this is sort of interesting. Think about epistolary novels, right? All the romance that happens on a piece of paper written by people who are miles and miles apart. I mean, we don't actually, we need, well, I don't know. We can create a lot of connection with what we're given because we are, I think, so programmed to connect. Mm-hmm. And so we will find a way to make that connection happen. It was interesting because the kids' uh, humanities teacher sent me a link to a math problem that was associated with the IBO, which is a sort of robotic dog, right? And so they were sort of doing these, you know, applied math challenges, kind of looking at the IBO versus a real dog. And it reminded me of when I was going to write, well, I did write a screenplay for the Sloan one year, and it was really focused on robotics and how humans... Just to say the Sloan is a fellowship. Yes. It's a fellowship about science and looking for work that really furthers it's not science fiction it's about actual science and sort of applying that which turns out to matter yeah as it turns out (laughs) who could have guessed um anyway so it was just interesting to see the ibo stuff because of course paro which had come which has come out gosh 10 11 years ago so paro is a robotic seal and at the time that I was writing this, it was sort of the big thing in human robot interaction. And it was designed to, so, you know, it has gyroscopes inside, it has these different things. So it's got is pressure. It, fuzzy? it is fuzzy. The seal and the dog, both? The dog is not fuzzy. Ooh, weird. But the, the cute little ears, the dog. Remember, that's a whole it's thing. It's pretty plastic looking. It's weird. Because there's a whole thing it doesn't about domestication. Ma- but here's the thing. It ears. doesn't really matter. As it turns out, humans, like we, you know, we've all heard about that horrific uh, baby monkey story where they took away the actual mothers of these baby monkeys and were like, and instead we've given you a post wrapped in barbed wire that lactates. I love you, mommy. And though they would still, <laughs> and they would still cling to it. Right? Which is not surprising. It's not surprising. But we are so programmed to do this. So that's why I'm um, like, hi, Zoom friend. Yeah. Right? So don't <laughs> look, no you, barbed you, wire. You make this statement like, oh, I'm alone. She's alone. But the truth is, we need the connection. And the big thing about this whole situation is going to be how do we handle not having certain kinds of connection we're used to. I just want to, I want to sort of make a little leap here, but about reading and kind of of put a plug in for reading, first of all, because 
I do think because reading needs a plug because reading needs a plug buy a book buy a goddamn new book not from Amazon which isn't delivering them anyway apparently but um, there are all kinds of bookstores doing free deliveries right now and indie bookstores and blah 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 so that's a good thing uphold this industry please Um, but in any case that's not my that's not my tangential plug I used to talk about how reading a book is like house sitting for somebody you know with a magical apartment or whatever right like somebody's magical living space that they've created and they've thoughtfully decorated and it's you know got their art and their books and their tchotchkes and whatever right and their wonderful sheets you know and you're in there wandering around this world that someone else has created and that's what the reader gets to do is wander around the world that this writer has created and in doing so even notoriously with fiction maybe even especially people start to think they really know the creator of the world because they're experiencing the world whereas sometimes having someone read your work can be like having someone house it for you where like you come back and like you're favorite dish is broken and your plants dying and that's sort of what it you know you but but you think there's an intimacy in being a reader that makes you feel like you've you kind of bonded with this person who created the space that doesn't always translate back but i'm thinking about the zoom thing so in a nutshell you've been traumatized <laughs> by your readers i think is what i'm hearing have I? I maybe. I think it's just, you know, it's it's just that when you're when you are a reader primarily, which all of us start out being, um, who who go on to want to write, you you have this fantasy of what it is to be a writer that is like it's like being a reader, but even better. And in some ways that's true, but that's most true about the privacy of writing, as opposed to about the public facing side of writing. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, what I wanted to sort of talk about with regard to connection and where we are now is um, I just actually want to, I hope Diana is listening. She is Hi, currently in Northern Italy. She's one of our students, students and she's amazing and thoughtful and gracious. And we had our usual Office hours. Office hours for our folks who are in book in a year. And so she was really speaking to the fact that I've been hearing this over and over. People really struggling with like, how do I focus right now? How do I, how do I like even give the work that I've been doing like value? Does it matter? Is it, is mm-hmm. it right? You, you had a wonderful insight actually about, you know, the way we might feel like our characters are spoiled because they don't know about this, right? right. They're living in a world where this isn't happening. Right, right. <laughs> so, great. yeah. Um, hi, Julia. Hope you're listening. Um, absolutely. I think that, well, one, that speaks to definitely connection. But Diana said something that I thought was really important. For those of us who have been lucky enough to this point to kind of have been behind the wave and the wave is coming through now in the U.S. And the wisdom from those who have been sitting with this for weeks now. And Diana basically said to our group of people who were like, why can't I concentrate? Why can't I do this thing? And she was like, you know, I'm in week three of being in shelter in place and being in this lockdown. My entire country is locked down. And only now am I starting to get 
kind of back to that to sense of clarity. Yeah, to being able to think and write. And, and I think that is so, you know, so important. And I honestly, and I told you this later, but I didn't tell our students this, I felt really emotional leaving today's office hours. I have a lot of compassion for everything that's happening. I have, it's not even just fear, I have grief for what's happening and how so many people are struggling. I don't know what's going to happen in our community. And um, this isn't the first time our nation, our world has been challenged with this kind of thing. But it really grieves me. And I think the truth is, Zoom, as wonderful it is as it is, is a poor substitute for human connection. But I also think we underestimate what commun- what what connection looks like, what human to human connection looks like. And the reason I bring up Diana's um, sentence and experience is because, we didn't have to be in the room with her to experience the profundity of what she was saying. Like we understood in the face of our fear what she'd been sitting with that we were blissfully ignorant of mm-hmm. and we're just now coming to know. And that I think is a way that humans really connect. Yes, we will miss the press of flesh upon flesh, but writing, talking, communicating, all of those things are connection as well. So I don't I just don't want us to underestimate the real human connection possible. I want to say one more thing and and kind of I want to frame this if I can as sort of a writing prompt because that was another thing our students were asking for is you know, we talked in the office hours today as well about kind of this being an opportunity to be able to imagine ourselves in other historical moments Mm -hmm. and to empathize with situations that we might not otherwise even really be able to grok. Right. You know, and so, um, and, and, and actually, so the kids English teacher was saying she was, she's going to have them write some historical fiction. And I think this is an amazing time to write historical fiction because I think we can, again, like project ourselves through through time in a different way and imagine different kinds of crises and what it feels like when something historical is happening and you don't know how it's going to turn out and you don't have the story of it yet, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a, such a different feeling. And I think that is one of the hardest things to create in historical writing is that sense of we don't know how it's going to turn out. It could turn out a completely different way than it is going to turn out. Right. That's the thing. You know, that's something I think is challenging about writing history. So one thing that might be interesting is to (laughs) band. If you hear the huffing in the background, that's actually just me and some paint. (laughs) No, that's our little bandit. Um, So that's that's a kind of a writing prompt is like pick a moment, a different moment in history and use some of the fresh edginess of this moment to really understand those people in that situation in a more kind of. um, tangible yeah more tangible way you know and ironically when I was in grad school I had a pretty significant head injury that happened and I was also writing about World War One 
at that time. Lots of head injuries. (laughs) And there were tons of head injuries, but my character was able then to go through a head injury and, you know, I could really think about, communicate the pieces that were about, like, the weird emotional upheaval of it. Not because you're just so weirdly emotional after you've been concussed significantly and um you know sound becomes different like there's just a lot of things that shift that I wouldn't have known but because I had something to put it in I was able to focus in that direction which doesn't mean like this only is a an opportunity to write if you are writing historical fiction no not at all it was a prompt it was just but it was just right. you know, something to explore and even about you know, even if if your characters live three weeks ago you know um 2005 which is not three weeks ago <laughs> but you know what i mean if, if they're living in a different moment um to still think about what do your characters not know is mm-hmm. coming what do your characters not understand about the circumstances that they're in and what does it feel unfolded? like to not know like to bring that information into your descriptions and into their interactions I think it is a wonderful insight that you're that you're bringing to the fore here because so often when we are writing historical fiction, we know that so-and-so is going to win the war. And at the same time, you know, people weren't putting their life on the line because they were like, well, it's going to be fine. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think this really connects to stakes as well, right? The stakes right. are much higher when everything is uncertain mm-hmm. and everything is always uncertain in the unfolding moment mm-hmm. but especially on your 300th draft you can really lose sight of that that sounds like it's a completely theoretical response from you <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of that there's an exciting revision prompt um, take a scene and imagine even sketch it out and it going a completely different way like and even you know and probably like um, you know, you you do the thing of making me do five versions of something and Ellen has her rule of three. And it's like, so so don't even do just one alternate reality, right? Like, what are like three really unexpected ways or five really unexpected ways the scene could unfold? Or right now, I think the other thing we left our office hours with was really like we asked all of our students to what was the kindest goal they could set for themselves? Yeah. And I think right now... I am not normally that person. Like, I am not the person who's, like... Kind. Well, there's a part <laughs> of me that, you know... You know, I maybe, like, working-class parents. I don't know. But there's this way in which self-care doesn't always feel like the right answer <laughs> in my worldview. Mm-hmm. But in this particular moment, I just don't think that we're going to get functional just because we think we should be like we're in this weird space where we can neither identify clearly the action the best next action or know what's coming so we're in this weird space that is not one that's deeply defined by the flight fight or flight responses and if you happen to already work from home or be able to transfer all your work to home you are not less busy just because you can't leave the house. Absolutely. And if your kids happen to be also stuck in the house with you, you're way not le- less busy. So I, because I had this initial thing of like, oh, here we are stuck in the house. Now I'm going to do that magic transformative 
you know, organizational miracle. Yeah, what's been keeping that at that bay? That is connected to my revision process too. Every time I'm deep in revision, I want to like reorganize the house. But uh, anyway, speaking of kids at home, it is time for Steal This. Amateur poets borrow. Professional poets steal. What, what have, have you come, come across in your wanderings, wanderings this and week? readings that you would like to take and make your own? All right, so I just finished reading uh, There's Nothing to See Here. Is that what it's called? It's by Kevin Barry. It's about the kids who spontaneously combust. It's a novel. It got a lot, it got a lot of buzz. It came out like maybe half a year ago or something like that last year. And um, so it was, it was good. It was a good book for me to listen to and read, which I did both because um, I kept wanting to. And it was... Even though it could have been dark, it just wasn't dark. It just mm. wasn't a dark, it just didn't feel dark to me. It didn't, and, and in some ways it, it almost felt like too light, but that might be the moment in which I was reading it. It was like, well, okay, the kids spontaneously combust, but you know, they don't get hurt and they can still go outside. <laughs> like go to the grocery store. So they're not like vampire babies. They're not vampire babies and they're not living in a pandemic, right? So it was a little there was a little bit of that going on. But one of the things that Kevin Barry does very well is um, and very directly is talk about the themes, talk about what the character's grappling with, talk about, you know, let the character kind of articulate some of those things in a very straightforward way, the, the very clear voice. So it's not dense, theoretical or complex, but it is overt and stated you know, this, this, uh, whatever. And, and I am wrestling with this. Kind of. Yeah. It, you know, it made me understand this or, um, whatever that sort of thing. And so, um, I came to understand there was also like kind of a great, I won't, I'll try not to do any, any kind of real spoiler here, but, the, but just when the kind of final decision had to be made, mm-hmm. it was interestingly complex in a way that I think was important and maybe a little bit new. It kind of captured the real emotional complexity of settling into something, right? So there's a kind of, there's the idea that after the final battle, things are not as up in the air as they were before, Mm -hmm. right? They're settled. And there was definitely that. There were some, like, decisions were made, choices were made, responsibilities were assessed and settled and all of that. So there was, but... By but when you choose something, you give up something else, even if you want the opportunity thing. cost. And so it kind of it kind of acknowledged that, and um, and it felt to me like again it it had larger resonances to the more ordinary versions of that kind of choice that people have to make. So you know it's not. And right now you're doing your very best to make sure that you're not giving away the ending. Right, but but you know I often talk about room and how room is this very exceptional situation, but it ends up being about parenting and about the control you have over your child's view of the world when they're little. And so I think similarly, this is about like these spontaneously combusting fire children, but it ends up also grappling with some things I think about parenting and childhood and being taken care of or not. I just want to say if anyone hears huffing in the background, that's still our dog. (laughs) Uh, How about you for Steal This? You know, I have been listening to, um, gosh, I think his name is Robert Cialdini. He initially wrote a book called Influence in the early 80s. 
And in 2016, he followed up with another book called Pre-Suasion. You talked about this last week. And so I'm still doing that, but I'm just, I mean, there's so many great little pieces that he has from that book um, that really has made me look at politics in this other way. Like um, George Lakoff often talks about sort of who controls the frame and what the frame controls in us as individuals and sort of persuasion is about that intentional construction of a frame not in a complex crazy way but in how do we how do we associate ourselves in particular ways with what people already know and i think um one of the things i was really struck by was he discussed his experience with a Salesman. He was a sale door to door salesman. He was had a mentor he was following, but the mentor had this sort of gig where he would pretend to forget something important in the car, and then ask if he could let himself back in. And he did that with everybody. And what he was doing was associating himself with the behaviors and actions of people we trust. Well, you, you you explained this to me before. So, he, like, he, by 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 coming in the house and connecting, and then leaving and coming back again this time as somebody familiar. Well, it wasn't just that. It was like, can I let myself back in? That was the key question. He would ask that ahead of time, and then as soon as they were like, "Oh, sure," he then became a person who had that kind of trust within right. the so household. When somebody's letting themselves into your house, and you're expecting it. Then that's mm-hmm. somebody you think you trust right and so he just talks about these different ways in which um we use the idea of family so studies show people are willing to sort of go to the mat for people who are perceived as family um at these higher rates so it's just really interesting to to have that whole thing and so when you think about okay i'm going to write a book about well, a heist, say. Say you're going to write a heist. How do people generate trust? How do people um, give people who would otherwise not want to let you in? I mean, this is all sociopathic and it freaks me out. And he talks <laughs> about that. He's like, these are not things, like if you were to use these badly, like you would sort of get your comeuppance. But at the same time, there are ways in which we are again we want to connect we want to do certain things we're sort of you know i hate i use the phrase but i'm not a fan of it it's just saying we're wired to do this thing because mm-hmm. again i'm not a fan of sort of universalism but as animals there are certain things that are always going to work as survival mechanisms and so if you understand those survival mechanisms then how can you exploit those to sell a widget or tell a story exactly or save the world, or whatever you might be doing this week. We are wishing you well, hoping you're setting kind and gentle goals. And again, I also want to just do a quick thank you to all of the healthcare workers, first responders who are out there risking a lot to take care of us. So make sure you take care of yourself so that those who are tasked with taking care of those who cannot take care of themselves anymore Have are not overwhelmed. <laughs> yes. And with that, we're sending you the best 